you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, welcome to your Monday. Thank you so much for um, well, allowing <laughs> us to be a part of your Monday. And for joining us. Yeah. yeah. And and just kind of letting us in letting on your us Monday. In. Yeah. Say, I say welcome to your Monday as if this is like, you know, people rise and shine at 2 Central, <laughs> 3 Eastern. Um, but I just, you know. With the Addisons, I guess is what I mean to say. Welcome to your Monday with the Addisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Uh, Sherry B and Jay Mack are on tap to help us navigate the show. I think that our streaming is down on uh, Facebook, and uh, we've been having some issues with that. If we can get the stream up, it should be available on YouTube, but I know that it will yeah. not be streaming on Facebook, and I want to say that because... problems. <clears throat> it's on there. On their end, yeah. and more ways than one. I was uh, looking at an article earlier too <laughs> uh, that there's a whistleblower uh, coming out of Facebook talking about some internal <laughs> stuff going on there. Well, um, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, <laughs> you know, we just read it. You know, you tr- you, you don't want to be entertained by it. You really yeah, don't. You know, but, you know, but you, know. you do want the truth to come to light. You do. And, and so, when you yeah. see that happening, you kind of can you know feel a little bit <clears throat> vindicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, but we'll we'll keep watching it, reading it, and then um, bring it to you. Uh, one of the things that we're going to get into talking about today, we have a guest uh, who is a Christian Post reporter, uh, Brandon Showalter, and uh, I read um, many of his his articles, and they're so insightful, and I, and I think that he's providing a lot of information, especially um, as it pertains to uh, the transgender issue, the conversation of what's happening all across this country, how right. it impacts parents, how it affects uh, the way we do our jobs, right? The expectation, the right expectation that God has for us as we parent our children. So we're going to have a conversation about that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I felt moved to do, though, and you may have noticed it to some extent, um, talk more practically about what the Addisons are doing with their kids. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I think that is uh, increasingly important is because it's one thing to say, you know, to kind of look at big picture, which we do those things. We look at big picture and we say, man, this is what's on the horizon. This is kind of what's, uh, you know, coming, coming up the pike, if you will. But then also we're saying, man, contend for your kids, contend for the faith first and foremost, but contend for the faith to be handed down to your kids intact. Right. And, uh, and we call that culture proofing. That's where you make your kids impervious to this culture. Uh, you teach them to live in such a way that they can go out into the world, but the world will not get into them. Right. And, and it can be done. It can be done else. We wouldn't have been tasked with being in the world, but not of it. If right. it couldn't be done, the Lord wouldn't have asked us to do it. Right. Or told us to do it. Right. Cause that kind of sounds soft. Um, <laughs> cause we, all right. Um, staying on track. I'm doing a great job. If I can say so myself. Doing great. Um, so one of the things I want to, want to make sure that we bring to light is that 
living for the glory of God is a very real thing that we do as Christians. It mm. is, it is every single day. And so often what can be lost in um, even the processing of information, the consumption of information is that these things become very detached from our normal everyday lives. Mm. It's sort of like, this is where I get my information and I file that away. And I think about those things and, and I kind of almost begin to feel like I've done something because I've heard something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible has something to say about those who hear but don't do. That's right. It's self-deception. Yeah. It is self-deception. And so we want to be very uh, careful as followers of Jesus Christ not to be self-deceived, thinking that we have done simply because we have heard, right? right. So we hear that these things are right to do. We agree. They make us feel good just to have heard them. It's very, very, like, deceptive, (laughs) right? Because you feel like you've done something just by hearing. But only doing is doing. And so what I want to what I really want to focus on is bringing to light some of the very practical ways that we are entrusting the faith to our children. Um, These little people and depending (laughs) on where you are, the stage of life that you're in, it would be your grandkids. But these little people have a huge responsibility and God and God has entrusted to you a huge responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? That you get the gospel to them intact. And this is why I've also been saying that for grandparents, we really want to move away from, I say we, I don't have any grandkids yet, um, but when or if I do, depending on how everything shakes out as far as the return, (laughs) with a capital R, as far as return, um, these are the things that I would want to keep in mind, right? That I want to move away from being a noun and move more in the direction of being a verb. That grandparent grandparenting is something that you do. And I'm more and more convicted that we need to have this conversation as we hear from grandparents who are asking the question, you know, mm. what should we do? Yeah. What should we do? Yeah. And and we've got to turn that. We've got to make that more of a, a collective norm among Christians right. that grandparenting is something that we do. There is no way. There was no way that the Apostle Paul would have been able to direct Timothy back to his mother and grandmother. Right. If the mother would the grandmother would have just simply had a passive role in his life. Right. He was he was pointing Timothy back to the faith of his grandmother Mm -hmm. and saying, remember this faith. And so how would Timothy be acquainted with that, except that it was a living faith, that it was a faith that was lived out in front of him, that there was some influence that the grandmother had on young Timothy's life. Mm hmm. So, so again, here we, we find ourselves in a category where everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. It's in the Bible. We have it's it. in the Bible. Every, God it. has given us everything that we need. He set us up to win. Um, and, 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 you know, furthermore, he indwells us by the power of his spirit. I mean, these, these are huge things that cannot be overlooked. So this morning, so here's what I, I want to bring to you. This is practical. How, how are we living this out? How are we um, trying to secure, uh, pass down our faith to our kids intact, uh, once they become um, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it it is a it is a discipleship mission. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we stop rearing them because uh, look, parenting is ongoing. It's ongoing, right? right. And at the same time, though, parenting must involve for the believer uh, discipleship. Yeah. And in fact, ho- the hope is that you do a great job in the you know younger stages. Yeah. That you get to a certain age where what comes you know. Um, to the fore is the discipleship. And if there's still going to be some correction, not the aim, my question would be, well, what is the aim? Is it just success in this world and this life? Yeah. You know, and I think that we have been victims of that. Just yes. submitting to, I just want them to have a, a, a good life here and haven't even, you know, really put the time and the effort into their eternal life, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. man. And, and I, I, man, I don't think, I don't think that, um, many of our 
listeners, our brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't think people want that to be true, but we have lived as if that were true. Right. You know what I mean? That, that has been what we have kind of illustrated by the way we maybe neglect those things that are eternal and focus on those things that are temporary because those things feel weightier than what's eternal. Right. But I, I will tell you this and, and I, I really, I really think that I can say this. Well, based on the scriptures, I can say this without contradiction or without somebody being able to contradict me um, <laughs> successfully. It doesn't mean that you can't contradict it. Just means you'll lose. Um, but the thing is, <laughs> when you think about a, a kid that you rear and you say, my kid has all types of earthly success, but does not know Christ mm. or does not make much of Christ. Mm. Um, that's a failure. It is. That's it a is. failure. And and now listen, I want to say this too. I want to be very clear. Mm-hmm. I want to be very clear. We are accountable for the things that we know as we know those things. Right. You understand? Right. So there is then now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is not meant to sound as one of those things of like, you know, wagging your finger, you need to do this and why didn't you do that? It's saying, but now for those of us, we understand what the stakes are. We understand the type of um, America that our kids are growing up in. If indeed they're growing up in America, whatever your country is, insert country here, because wickedness is pervasive all around the world. Right. So you've got to rear kids who are able to stand in the midst of great wickedness and they've got to maintain their testimony. All right. So having said all of that, um, before I want to say this, too, because there's there's the hot there's a possibility as well that parents have done, you know, what they were supposed to do. And, you know, the children, for whatever reason, have has chosen not to know submit to what their parents have, right. have said you know right uh, you can be in a family where you all have the same teaching same bible being taught to you same church you grew up in and you can have one or two that just like man they want to just do their own thing and i think that's, that's right. a very real uh thing you know mm-hmm. and and sometimes we don't like to talk about that no because, but we should but 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 that's very real you know so it parent there, there are parents who are doing those things and but it's a this salvation is is, is an individual thing That's where so they have good. to know them know Christ for themselves. You know, yeah. it's not because they're part of this unit or this family, but that they have had an encounter with Christ and know Him. That's and, right, and man, and them. that yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you said that. That is an excellent point because I do believe the enemy beats up parents. Yeah. Um, at this point, especially those who have done all that they could, those who have tried to be faithful to what the Lord expected of them. And for those parents, I would just remind them of Adam. I don't think that you can have a better environment. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't wow. think that yeah. you can have a better parent. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, I, I, I know you can't have a better <laughs> parent. Right. And, and so you go back mm. to the original rebellion where, wherever there is um, the, the, the will of man, where man has a choice that he can make, um, those are the types of things that are the possibilities. Right. And yeah. so then again, and I think that is an incredible encouragement. Well, let's do all that we can. All that we that. can, all that we can. And a little bit over there, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that we can, a little bit over there, <laughs> a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this morning, so with our kids um, for this particular school year, we elected to do um, a, a put together Bible curriculum which is not something historically that we have done just our own personal choice. Not any reason we're not allergic to them. We just, we tend to like to kind of navigate what we're learning as a family. And and there's some real time things that we like to, to, to bring in, 
But, you know, things have been a little bit kind of um, different, not trying to like name blame, uh, but <clears throat> Timmy is here. And so sometimes there <laughs> are these huge interruptions, right? This is yeah. real life. There are yeah. these huge interruptions to these deep theological discussions that we love to have. We really do. We, we fascinated by discussing theology and the things of God. So, um, so we, we thought, well, let's get a, bi- a Bible curriculum that we could um, make sure that every morning they were going just a little bit deeper. Now, no offense, um, but there are sometimes that uh, when we discuss, okay, so what was the assignment for today? Uh, you know, it's just a little, it's a little bit light. And so, so I just feel like, ah, you know, and like today, <laughs> as we move, we move to the end of our quarter. So the Addisons have been in school for about 45 days. Um, so we're moving to the end of the quarter. And um, today was like a celebration of the end of the quarter. And so I was like, okay, it's time for your, uh, your Bible curriculum. I got to go th- faster through this. Okay. So, so they go and then they come back in a few seconds. Um, and, and I say seconds is exaggeration for effect of a, a few minutes, but not long enough to have spent any quality time. So I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? And um, they said, well, you know, it's, we're wrapping up the quarter. So they said um, today was do a craft to celebrate wrapping up the quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay. And what scriptures have you read? Well, we just do a craft of what we what we enjoy from the entire quarter. Hmm. Okay, uh, come sit down. <laughs> come sit down over here. So we have them open their Bibles to Proverbs chapter four. This is this is a handy tool, and I say handy not to downplay the strength or the power of the Word of God. And I think people know us well enough to know that we would never do that. But this is a handy tool that you could use with your kids if you have not prepared in advance to have any kind of Bible discussion with them. Um, you've got 31 Proverbs. You've got 30, 31 days, depending on the month that you're in. And so today is uh, October the 4th. And so we say we're going to read Proverbs chapter 4. So send them back. You're going to read Proverbs chapter 4. And you're going to take notes on the particular verses that stand out to you. And then I want you to come back ready to discuss those verses. And so they did. And here was something interesting that um, that I found that the Lord graced us to be able to do. And and by the way, if you're going to do this later when you get home or if you haven't done in the morning or whatever, This is something that you could begin to incorporate in your training and discipling your kids that the word of God is important. Like you're not, Mm. um, this is your daily bread, Yeah. right? This is your daily bread. And so it should not be enough that your assignment was, you know, you know, cut out, cut out shapes. No, knock, guys, (laughs) I'm not, I'm just, but, but read the word of God. So as we're going through. Our oldest begins and I, we come back together and, and I say, OK, let's have some discussion around Proverbs chapter four. And one of the things that she um, said that stood out to her was uh, verses 14 through 16. I got to read it quickly here. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of, of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. Mm-hmm. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Mm. And one of the things she commented on was how relentless evil and wickedness is in our culture and that the Bible is just true. (laughs) So one of my favorite things to do is cross reference. So I took them from Proverbs chapter four, these verses to Mariah's point. And we went to first Peter chapter four, where we talked about how the wicked are surprised when you don't participate. They want you to participate, Mm. but we've got to stand against it. We'll grab the break. We'll be right back. Our Father, which art in heaven, yeah, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh. 
Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We really do appreciate you listening. Um, thank you for joining the show. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's the Walls Group with the prayer. J-Mac and Sherry B are on tap, and I appreciate them getting our guest on. Uh, Christian Post reporter, which um, many of the articles, I say many of the articles, but you've heard us uh, discuss Brandon's articles on this program, especially those that would uh, revolve around children and protecting them and uh, the transgender um I don't know how you describe it now. I'm always <laughs> trying to find the ways uh, to be most sensitive. Mm. But I think in some ways there's there's just no way to be sensitive because the goal keeps moving, yeah. right? Like every every time you say, okay, well, we'll say it this way or we'll say it that way. Now, when I say say it this way, say it that way, I'm not at all talking about <laughs> pronouns or any of those right. things. That That's not what I'm talking about. But, I'm, you know, anyways, Brandon Showalter, Christian Post reporter, joins us today to talk about where we're headed in this country, how parents are trying to defend their children. Um, but the battle is fierce. Mm. Brandon, thank you so much for thank joining, so us. Much how for joining us. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I, I have a little I, bit I of an echo, bit of Will the Great. I don't know if you can hear that. Okay. I'm, I'm okay, hearing that I'm hearing Brandon, that may, Brandon need may need headphones if you don't have them on. I don't have them with me here. I'm sorry. There's an okay. echo. I was not told about headphones, um, so I'm just using our audio here. But okay. I'm sorry okay. about that. I, okay. Nothing I can do okay. on this end. Okay. So if okay, we so can, if we can uh, disconnect, uh, disconnect and reconnect with him, because, because that that echo that, is probably going to be a little bit, um, bit um, of a problem for everybody. Problem for everybody. Can okay. we just get him on the phone lines? Yeah, we can. All right. Then let's let's disconnect, Brandon, and we'll get you on the phone lines just so that we make sure that we have an interview. The things that we want to discuss, I think, are so critical that any distraction to that um, is just not going to be good. I mean, there's never a good time to have a distraction. But I think what we could do is maybe get uh, Brandon on the phone lines and then talk to him. Brandon has written about um, the intersection of faith and also looking at public policy and what's happening in the culture. And these things are so important as parents move to defend and protect their children. Um, I think the question then comes uh, comes to mind, what is happening in each individual state and what does it tell us about the type of country that we're eventually going to live in? Um, one of Brandon's articles from back in July uh, took a look at Arkansas, where you had a federal judge who temporarily blocked, temporarily blocked an Arkansas law that was banning the use of experimental drugs and gender transition, uh, transition surgeries on minors. Mm. Now, why is this important? Well, we're saying that if a kid um, who we know to be underdeveloped, right, is allowed to make these types of decisions, they have far reaching consequences that those kids at that age can't possibly understand the length and breadth of those consequences. And yet yeah. we live in a type of society where we're increasingly saying that kids have the mental capacity to be able to make these decisions. Arkansas is not the only place. There's another article that um, that Brandon wrote that looked at California, um, California. And now this is interesting, though, because California is actually protecting free speech rights mm -hmm. where you cannot compel people to use uh, certain gender pronouns or preferred mm -hmm. pronouns and then say that that is uh, something that can be legally fined, yeah. which to me is a little bit eye opening, but it tells you where our culture seeks to go. Where does our culture ultimately seek to go? It's not just kind of bringing people along to a position by convincing them that this is what they need to do. Mm -hmm. It is compelling them to take a position 
uh, with the threat of being punished by the government. Wow. Well, California said, no, you can't use the power of the government to punish people, to make them say something that they don't want to say. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Then there's another article that um, that Brandon wrote where he looked at what's going on in Montana. There was a lawsuit that was filed against the state of Montana over its law that required residents to show proof of a cosmetic sex change before the gender designation on their birth certificate could be changed. Now, if you think about this, this seems to be a simple request, right? But the challenge is there not because of the request. The challenge is there because of the ideology. Do we have Brandon on? Because I really want to have him unpack all this stuff for us. Okay, Brandon, do we have a good connection? I think so. Can you hear me all right? Oh, yes. yeah, you sound great. Okay, well, let's kind of um, take a dive into some of the work that you've been doing. Number one, just kind of give us an overview. The state of our nation, where are we as it pertains to children and this rampant gender ideology that is really confusing them? Well, it's not good, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And uh, our children, it is safe to say, are being devoured by a particularly nefarious ideology to confuse them about the most basic facts of their being. I started doing journalism on this subject approximately five years ago and really fallen down the rabbit hole, and people think I'm kind of crazy because of some of the things that I've seen, but it's, it's beyond a description, some of the horrors that I've encountered, and I'm not being hyperbolic there. Children not only being told to say certain pronouns and sort of declare their quote-unquote gender identity in schools and in other social contexts, but what is most alarming to me has been the medicalization of yes. their healthy bodies to support normal puberty and then perhaps go on to cross-sex hormones and then maybe even a body-altering irreversible Brandon, Brandon, we started out with a really good connection. I don't know. Are you are you using a different type of microphone? There's a there's a little bit of a um, a scratching happening. I don't I don't know what it is. The connection was really great when you first when you began. Um, So whatever you're doing, were you standing on one leg? (laughs) No, I was I was just sitting sitting on here in the newsroom. uh, Okay. okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So whatever you're doing, I'm so sorry uh, we're having technological problems, but yeah. I'm, well, you know, yeah. I don't want to over spiritualize everything, but since you are a Christian news reporter, I think you can understand <laughs> that there may be some spiritual implications uh, well, to this. And I'm giving a big speech on Friday about all this, and so I totally get it. No, it's, it's all sorts of stuff being stirred up spiritually. So no, mm. I'm totally tracking with you. Ephesians six is not a theory. <laughs> oh come Amen. on, Brandon! Amen. See, <laughs> I enjoy reading your work. Okay, yes, yeah. absolutely. So you were making the point point, though, you're talking about the medicalization that has uh, grown. It's increased in our country. And I think that many parents would be shocked to understand that there is uh, the increased move to deny them of their basic parental rights. That is to be informed of what their kids are being taught. But I think greater than that, it seems that we our country wants to be on this trajectory to where our kids will have these things that are irreversibly done to their bodies and parents will be none the wiser. Are you seeing this in your research or in your investigation? Absolutely. This ideology, can you hear me okay right now? Yes. By the way? Yeah, I can. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was just going to say, yes. Uh, this ideology is, I believe one of its main goals is to dismantle the family structure. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I sometimes say that, it is, uh, there's this, the transgender formula to the extent that it operates in schools and in really much of the public sphere in the healthcare system is that the first step is that you capture their minds, 
Mm-hmm. The second step is that you chemically castrate and cut their bodies. And the third step is that it crushes the family. And sometimes mm-hmm. those steps happen in different orders, but there's nothing that this ideology touches that it doesn't ruin and destroy. And so shielding children from their parents where I'll, I've seen and I've gotten phone calls to this effect where parents are, you know, kept in the dark intentionally mm-hmm. by school officials and teachers and guidance counselors who act as the quote-unquote protector of their children when they become convinced that they somehow are the opposite sex or are a plethora of quote-unquote gender identities, what you might say. And there is a wedge that's driven between the institution and the parents and the family. And it just disrupts any kind of normal function. And, I mean, it's just so arrogant what schools and other you know, places are doing, acting as though they know better than what's going on within the family. Man, let's kind of stay here for a second. So I think that one of the ways that, um, you know, this this ideology is sort of like infiltrating homes and infiltrating families and working to destroy those families. I think one of the ways that this happens best and by best, I don't mean this in a good way, um, is by the ignorance of the parents. Like we just don't know what's going on or or we take for granted that the people to whom we've entrusted our kids agree with our worldview. And this just isn't true, Brandon. We have our kids in, um, when we talk about the public education setting, right? We have our kids in an environment that is hostile to Christian conviction. Is it not? Hostile is putting it mildly. It's (laughs) it's hostile on steroids. Mm, I mean, it's just, they are told that any kind of disagreement with this is tantamount to abuse. The idea that if a, if a parent doesn't accept what you say you are, they are somehow abusing you and they are not to be trusted. It's absolutely horrendous. And I, I mean, this all sort of came out of nowhere. It seems many parents who call me and many of them are not even Christians or conservative or any, I mean, that it just absolutely, what they say is that this has just completely shattered my life and it's completely upended everything I knew and everything I could trust. Um, there's just, there's just nothing. It just it just turns everything upside down for people. All sense of normalcy is just lost. But and, and you'll find, I mean, the truth of biology, what the gender ideologues are trying to do is completely override it, as though mm-hmm. it does not exist. They start from this false premise that sex is just a social construct. No, it is a material reality. Mm-hmm. It's just the basic facts of life. And so you find that a lot of people on the right and the left alike say, wait a second, hold on. I may be okay with sort of gay and lesbian rights or whatever, but this idea that somehow a person can change their sex and that, you know, a woman is just whatever you self-declare it to be. No, 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 no. I mean, this is just a, this is just a bridge too far. Yeah, but you know, let's 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 uh, let's talk about the bridge, though, because I think even to the point that you made, just as you were trying to illustrate the larger point, like our discussion, we're talking about um, transgender ideology. But it's interesting, even sort of to make your point, you're saying that there are some conservatives and maybe even some Christians who would say, well, I'm okay with rights here, but I'm wondering if, you know, the being okay with rights here, those things that are antithetical to our faith that go against Christian uh, conviction. I'm wondering if those things are the bridge that have gotten us to where we are today. I almost feel like Christians in America have slowly made concessions, but they've been consistent. And so then we find ourselves in a place where we go, well, I'm not willing to give up this ground, but unfortunately we've given up so much already. Your thoughts. 
Well, I mean, and I'm very much a believer. Let it, let just let the record show in yeah. our faith historic teaching on marriage and sexual ethics. Very much believe in all of that, and I would be among those Christians who I've not given up that ground in terms of what I believe personally. Mm-hmm. What I what I meant maybe should have been more clear is that I'm seeing even secular people who gotcha. are not Christians who do not share our views on those kinds of things who are saying I'm for the LGB portion of the acronym, but not the T because they see how the T... I mean, get a load of this. I mean, this is so bewildering and bizarre, but I've actually gotten emails and phone calls to this effect where gays and lesbians will call me. They're not Christian, and they are horrified that people who are experiencing same-sex attraction are now being told in therapists' office and in these clinics that their same-sex attraction is actually evidence that they were born in the wrong body and that they're really transgender. I mean, it's so bewildering. Wow. And look, I mean, I'm, look, again, I am very much a believer in our faith. Yes. If people are same-sex attracted, I don't have any problem as a small O Orthodox Christian to say that that's wrong. Same-sex mm-hmm. attraction, the treatment for that is most definitely not foreign synthetic hormones. That ought to be a crime. I mean, that's right. the real conversion therapy. <laughs> but same-sex attracted people should not be harmed by this. And I don't have any hesitation saying so. Um, but, yeah, I think there is... Um, I know a lot of people who also, that while there's no question that it's the LGBT activist organizations that are carrying the torch for this new gender ideology, a lot of people from within and who used to support those groups feel unspeakably betrayed. Um, so a lot of people just didn't realize that this is where it was going, though all of the major groups are furthering it with no hesitation. It's really something to see. There has, there has been one group, I think, in England called the LGB Alliance, that's trying to push back on this stuff. And I think there might be a USA chapter now, but um, yes, it's fraught with a lot of internal contradictions. There's no doubt about it. You know, what's interesting to the point that you're making and which by the way, Brandon, thank you so much for that clarification. I really do appreciate that. And it's duly noted. um, And it's important what you just noted about what you believe um, about the truth of the word of God. I mean, that's our final authority. We're not just making these things up. Definitely. so thank you so much for sharing that. But I want to I want to go back to this point about the T and the LGBTQ plus and it you know just the plus just means everything else. But I think it's interesting to note that when you talk about the transgender ideology and this is so important for Christians and I'm hoping that you could kind of drive this point home for us. This is probably of of the things that are in the list here. These the T is the thing that demands Christians agree. Like you, because yeah. what it, what you have to do then is use the pronouns. Like you don't want to, as they yeah. call it, dead name, like refer to someone if they right. change their name or they decide they've changed their gender identity. When you talk about homosexuality or same um, sex attraction, that doesn't necessarily demand anything of Christians. Like you, you can kind of observe that, you know, and say, no, this is, no, this goes against Christian teaching. Like the, the Lord God is not sanctioning this. There's no such thing as this, but the transgender ideology is unique in that it demands public agreement. It demands to be acknowledged, does it not? Yes. That's the totalitarian, you know, crux of it. It really is. I mean, if you can demand that people say things that you want them to say, what you really are demanding is that you think what people are thinking. Because language indelibly shapes thought. And Mm -hmm. so what could be more totalitarian than thought control, mind control, that you actually have to say things with which you don't agree? if you have to force somebody to lie. And so, yes, it demands that of Christians, but it really demands that of everybody who doesn't mm-hmm. agree with it. I mean, it just applies across the board. And, you know, there's a there's an Enlightenment a French 
French philosopher Voltaire, the French Revolutionary, and mm-hmm. I, I don't quote the French Revolutionaries very often, but it was Voltaire who said that those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And to that, wow. I would just add, there's no better way to make someone believe in an, in an absurdity than by twisting our very means of communication, our language, into something utterly unrecognizable. Wow. Oh, that is so well said. That is so well said. I want to grab the break. And then I want to talk about one of the articles that you wrote back in July where you looked at the California law that was attempting to force nursing home, um, I want to say employees or nursing home staff to use trans pronouns. I want to talk about that and where we are on that at at this point. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. Our guest is Brandon Showalter, who is a Christian Post reporter. And we're discussing what's happening with um, the transgender ideology in our country. He has reported on this extensively. And as I just learned uh, in the last segment, we'll be speaking on this and probably has already spoken uh, regarding this. Uh, we're going to get back into the discussion. First, let me just say I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's best news ever. Mercy me. All right, Brandon. So I was uh, it was interesting to read um, the California appeals court ruling back in July. You covered this um, this story where you've got the nursing home staff who were being forced to use transgender pronouns, preferred transgender pronouns. But the appeals court said, no, you can't do that. You can't violate a person's free speech rights. But the appeals court also said that if the ruling or if the law had been different, then maybe it would not have been um, or that it would have been upheld. Can you can you help us understand what happened in California? Yes, it just at base, what happened was that the law um, was so poorly written. I mean, none of this stuff, I don't think is constitutional, but uh, with respect to the state law, it's just a big case of overreach. You can't force people to say what they don't want to say. If there is a shining star in our Constitution, I mean, and I don't know what what kind of free speech protections are exist in the California Constitution, but I would assume it would be similar. Is that you just can't force people to say things they want to say? And if my memory serves, it's been a while since I, you know, re- remember reporting on that case. But mm-hmm. it's that there are certain sort of regulations about what kind of employee conduct is enforceable on the job and what's not if that's that's vaguely my recollection and you know there's certain policies where you know employers have been able to you require certain things of their employees but this one was the law was written in such a way where it was just so beyond the pale in terms of a violation of of free speech yeah those who violated the law could have been prosecuted um as a misdemeanor crime and face 180 days in days in jail yeah i mean it's it's just (laughs) insane Wow. And and so, right. but here's what's interesting, you know, what is interesting to me about that is that the appeals court uh, said the following, and then I, I just want to kind of get you to kind of talk around this a little bit, quote, at the very least, willful refusal to refer to transgender persons by their preferred pronouns conveys general disagreement with the concept that a person's gender identity may be different from the sex the person was assigned at birth, Con- consistent 
with the legislature's findings in enacting section, and then they give what, what they're referring to, we conclude that misgendering does indeed convey an ideological message. So this is why I find that interesting, Brandon. I want to get your take on this because it seems that what the appeals court is saying is that if a person refuses to use a person's preferred pronouns, they are making an ideological statement in culture. And I think that that is profound because I don't even think some Christians realize that you've got some Christians who are saying, well, just engage in pronoun hospitality, just refer to the person as they want. And then you'll be able to slip the gospel in when here you have secularists. I mean, for all intents and purposes saying, no, when you don't use a person's quote unquote preferred pronouns, you are conveying an ideological message. I think that is profound for us to understand. People don't realize just how systematic the grooming and the gaslighting has been around this issue and how emotions have been weaponized in order to make people do things that they should not do. The whole pronoun hospitality thing, if I, if I remember correctly, that was something that the former president of the Southern Baptist mm-hmm. Convention, J.D. Greer, you said. You remember correctly, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and here's, here's the thing. If, if, as a pastor, you're working with someone who is legitimately confused about their gender and you're trying to work with them in a messy situation, okay, I get it. I don't ever believe that it's kind or pastorally wise to lie and deceive, but I don't think... With all due respect to J.D. Greer, I've not met him. I've only, you know, communicated with him by email. That is just an incredibly unwise thing to say because you don't realize just how much this ideology depends upon the hijacking of language. Mm. And I believe that as Christians, we have to have integrity with our words, and we have got to stop lending credence with what we say Mm. to an abject lie. And so it's, you know, if you're in a messy pastoral situation and you use a pronoun here and there as you're guiding someone through a process, okay, that's as much as I'll give you. But more broadly in culture, when when this ideology gets inserted into public policies and in laws and into employment regulations, what it's essentially doing is, is trying to force us to live in an alternate reality. And that's not kind to anyone. And mm. people have lost their jobs for refusing to go along with this. I mean, since when do you get to force people to say things they don't believe in? Come on. I mean, the secularists who make that point are correct that they are making an ideological statement. But let me just also, um, you know, just to underline this point I'm making, uh, the whole concept of a quote-unquote gender identity that is apart from biological sex, people, they don't know the history. And that whole concept that a gender identity develops in a person at some point in time during their (laughs) development was actually largely created by a guy named John Money, who was on staff, who was a psychologist and sexologist several decades ago at Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And in in 1991, the guy who invented, for all intents and purposes, invented this concept of gender identity, again, always put that in air quotes, is a defender of pedophilia. Mm. So when you lend credence to this so-called gender identity, remember, it's been invented out of whole cloth by people who have defended some of the most depraved things humans can do. That's what you're defending. The roots of this ideology, where you are actually now telling children that they can self-declare their sex as Mm. something other than their biology, is actually something that is, I believe, breaking down their boundaries and has... um, pedophilic roots, and I'm not being hyperbolic. And think Mm. about it even in the medicalization sense. If you can tell a child at age, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 
that they can take experimental drugs that will foreclose their fertility, that a child can actually consent to that, it's not very much of a leap to then say that a child can also consent to sex. I don't think mm, I'm being too chicken little there. No. It's really that mm-hmm. dangerous. No, wow. you're absolutely not. And look, and, and we actually, we can see, I guess, some versions of this in our education system. I mean, when you start telling kids that they have autonomy, you start telling yeah. kids <clears throat> that they have autonomy over their own bodies. It can sound like it's good, but in reality, what you're saying is that your parents do not have authority over you, that you can consent to things that, you know, your parent might say, well, you're not old enough to consent to that. But the kid is being taught every single day or five days a week, at least, that you have personal autonomy. You can consent. You know what's good for you. And so, no, you're not being chicken little. This is exactly what's going on. But I think many parents are unaware that it's happening. It's very sinister. It's very, very sinister. And it's so crazy. I mean, I I live and work in Washington, D.C., but I'm from the countryside of Virginia. Wholesome, Mm -hmm. salt-of-the-earth country people is where where I grew up. (laughs) And And I'll go home. I'll go home and I'll talk about my journalistic work on this issue. And they look at me, the people there look at me as though I've got four or five heads. They can't, it's just so outrageous and so sinister. And it hasn't quite, I mean, it's, this stuff is everywhere now, even in areas in rural areas where you wouldn't think it would be because most people still have their sanity out there. But it's creeping in there and it's just so unbelievable. It just like paralyzes them from being, being able to think that, no, this is actually really, really happening. Um, but I, I get phone calls from parents, again, secular and Christian alike, who live in more liberal cities, and the stuff that children are being lured into in their schools and in their communities uh, would would turn your hair green. It's just some of the things that I've seen and heard would just, it's, it's so unbelievable, and I don't think even I would believe it were I not the one reporting it, reporting on it myself. It's oh, really here, bad. Oh, here, here. Wow. Here, here. Yeah. Look, <clears throat> those are the kinds of conversations we have. Yeah. Like if we were not researching yeah. this stuff and looking into this stuff, you would not believe right. that it's Wouldn't happening. It. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's so far-fetched. It's so beyond the pale. But now you said that this is happening everywhere. When you talk about um, transgender ideology, you wrote um, an article about emoji designers and how yeah. <laughs> um, the new emojis that are expected to be kind of rolled out in 2022 were under mm-hmm. review. Well, I went back to that article, I read the article, and then I followed your hyperlinks um, because I knew in the in the article that the, the finalist or that the final decision was going to be revealed um, by the end of September. And so this Emojipedia, Emojipedia.org, who submits their new emojis for consideration to, I guess, phone come. I don't know how this all works, but please help me understand why there now needs to be a pregnant man or a pregnant person emoji. Like when we talk about this ideology being everywhere, yeah, on our kids' yes. phones, uh, their devices, these things. I mean, it's here. You cannot underestimate just how this is now in everything. It, even the subtle, small, little things. They'll insert these messages even in our in our emojis. There's nowhere you can get away from it, and it's just insane. like. You talk about people evangelizing this stuff. It's just, it's just literally everywhere you turn. And it's, it's amazing how even these small little things have the power to shape perceptions and thoughts about culture. And it's, there's been just a very deliberate effort on the part of gender activists to insert this absolutely anywhere they can. 
yes, even in emojis. <laughs> yeah, I think because I think the aim is normalization. I think if this right. is all around children, if this is this is all around our youth, um, this becomes very normal. This is the world that they're living in. And I think the great task for parents is that we keep in front of them that it isn't, that it is not normal, that this is not God's design for human sexuality, for, for human um, relationships, that this is not what God has designed. But that becomes increasingly difficult. Before we run out of time, Brandon, I want to um, ask you about this because you, there are some other countries that are kind of running back the medicalization of transgender normalcy. And you you see this with countries like Sweden and Finland. And then also over in the United Kingdom, you see that there are increasing measures to say, wait a minute, you know, maybe we ought not to experiment on um, children and maybe we ought not to pump them with drugs that we don't exactly know how this will all turn out. Or maybe they get on the other side of this and they change their mind. Um, why is it that the United States is so slow in this? Why does it seem that we're ramping this up and other countries are saying, wait a minute, there's we have some ill effects as a result of this. What's going on? Well, yes, uh, it is encouraging to see what's happened in Sweden and Finland. Uh, you mentioned the UK and there's been some more discouraging news of late. Um, okay. Yes, in December, I think, or November, December of last year, there was a high court ruling which pushed back against this whole puberty blocking thing. There was a case by a detransitioner named Kira Bell, and she won in court, but then there was a partial reversal in March saying the parents could consent to it. And then just a few weeks ago, mm. that ruling that they had was overturned. And so now it's going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. But Sweden followed the original ruling from the U.K., and there was a big hospital over there, the Karolinska Hospital, which they said, you know, in part based on that ruling that they weren't going to do this. Um, Finland also made some very good changes. Uh, in the United States, you're right. And I think I attribute it to the power of uh, the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industrial complex, and how much wow. money they have and how much influence they have over our politicians and our media and our advertising. Also, LGBT lobbyists and their media people. It just really has got the culture in a vice grip, it seems. Hmm. Uh, and it's only, you know, some radical feminists and some dissident gays and lesbians and Christians and Catholics and a few conservative people that are in any way pushing back against it. Arkansas passed a law uh, earlier this year, and even the Republican governor vetoed it, but then they overrode his veto. And now the ACLU has sued the state of Arkansas and um, their attorney general, who I will be speaking with this week, is going to be con- defending that law in state court. So the opposition... I think people are just now getting aware because the mainstream media, you will not get the truth from them. You only have to read the Christian Post and a few other conservative-leaning outlets who've been doing good journalism on this subject. But the information is hard to find, and by the time a lot of people wake up to what's really going on, it's too late. And oftentimes when people wake up, it's because somebody in their own family has gotten mired in it, and it's Mm. just devastating. Mm. Then they realize just how systematically they've been deceived and lied to. It's a disgrace. We're living through one of the greatest medical scandals of all time. And that's not overstating it. It's really true. Um, and, and maybe sometime if you have me back on the show, I can tell you about some of the things that I've seen. But yes, I just got to tell you guys, Addison, um, it's, it'll probably make you lose your lunch. Some of the mm. grotesque, gruesome surgeries, just the butchery that's being done to young people who wow. are being told that their bodies are somehow wrong. Um, it's, it's really, really horrific just how we're desecrating the image of God on people by mm. telling them they can actually change their sex. No, you can't. You cannot change your body. 
your, your body is not wrong. You were made male and female in God's image, and you can have gender. You can have, you know, atypical interests that may not dovetail with, you know, culturally defined stereotypes. But you're still only ever male or female. That can never mm. change. Man, that's yeah. so good. We may need to have you back, yeah. Brandon, because I think even the very last thing you said there, <clears throat> excuse me, needs to be just unpacked a little bit because I think our culture has seized upon um, some of the confusion that when you have uh, boys who maybe enjoy this and maybe they don't enjoy sports, that the culture right. just kind of fills in that gap and says, well, you know, you're probably not really a man. You're probably trapped. And and it's yeah. unfortunate that the church has not shown up to come to the aid of those who have been confused. Right. The enemy has just wreaked havoc. Right. Well, and my question, my question to your audience would be, how many is too many? How many mm-hmm. children have to wind up sterile? How many children, teenagers, young adults have to wind up with fractured psyches, brittle bones, and surgically disfigured bodies in service oh. to a lie? How many is too many? For me, the answer is one. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Brandon, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, one of the things that I do want to get to, maybe the next time we have you back on, we talk about what parents need to actively be doing, um, paying attention to what's going on, what their kids are being taught, how it's in media and entertainment, how it's on social media, how girls are transitioning in clusters. All of these things are the kinds of conversations we need to keep having. Brandon Showalter, a Christian Post reporter. I want to encourage you to check out ChristianPost.com. Uh, we're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless. <laughs>